Hey everyone, welcome to B2B Made Simple. I'm Sam Moss, the CEO and co-founder of One Click Agency. On this show, I interview marketing experts from fast-growing B2B SaaS companies. We feature podcast episodes I'm a guest on, and sometimes we throw in a consulting call I've done with another company. Our goal with this show is to equip you and give you the tools you need to be the best marketer you can be. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to B2B Made Simple, a podcast for B2B marketers who are looking to get better at their craft and learn from peers and pros in the industry. Today with me, I have Alessandra Colacci. She's the VP of Marketing at Mailshake. Alessandra, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited about this talk today. But before we kick it off, um, I do have a question for you. So if you had to vacation in one spot for the rest of your life, would it be up in the mountains on a lake or would it be at the beach? Ooh, I think up in the mountains. I'm more of a mountains kind of girl. I like it. I like it. Remind me, where are you located right now? I'm in Texas, so we don't have a lot of mountains here. Gotcha. <laughs> we don't really have okay, that makes sense. There, so we have like <laughs> <of> those things. <laughs> I like it. Every time I ask that question, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, mm-hmm. So it's always fun to hear what people prefer. With that being said, uh, thanks again for being here on the show. Um, let's kick this off, all right? Awesome. All right. So my first question for you um, is we're, we're going to be talking about marketing playbooks today. I think it's a pretty common um, topic amongst marketers and you have some different ways that you look at this. Um, and I think one of the things that really stuck out to me is many marketers, they believe that there's a playbook they can follow from a similar company. They get in and they're like, you know what, this company did, did it this way and we're going to replicate that to a T. Why is that not always true? And why does that not always work out? Yeah, I think what happens is there's like all the nuance that is specific for every company. And that can be something as small as like your audience being slightly different. You know, it could be something that the size of their companies are smaller or bigger than, you know, the playbook you're looking at. Um, it might be something that the the where they hang out, even though they're the same industry, is like a little bit different or that the messaging that they're looking for, you know, that that's something that even changes over time. Like, for example, if it's something that has a messaging angle um, six months ago, it can be different than it is today, just because the market's changing, the industry's changing, all the kind of forces around that are changing. So um, I think there's, there's that those kind of nuances that, you know, while the principles might be the same, it's like, how does that look like from an overall perspective um, that's really specific to your exact audience? Mm-hmm. So should we be looking for overall principles instead of tactics when we're looking at a playbook? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of times you can look at a playbook and see that the fundamentals are there, you know, so when you really break down a playbook and you're like, okay, um, let's say they did something really well in targeting, or they said they did something really well in, like I mentioned, messaging, or, or maybe it's in the follow-up sequence or the nurture or something, something like that, like there's usually some aspect that is part of the marketing fundamentals that are not just like specific to that playbook, but when we look at like, their great marketing principles in general, you know? So I think a lot of times that's what works is when you really boil it down to that, you're like, okay, the the element, the aspect of the marketing principles was this. And that's why that was successful for that company. Mm -hmm. You know, what's interesting is if you were to take tactics and the the T's cross and the I's dotted, right? So to a T following a playbook from a company, then you actually don't get the overall perspective from other companies. So if you follow your method where you take the principles, 
not only can you take the marketing principles from one company, now that opens you up to multiple ones that might have different avenues or, or different views on marketing. And you can take two principles from this one, three mm-hmm. from over here, and maybe one from over here. Um, is that what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting when you look at it like that, because essentially it's like this, this recipe book, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes people are like, I follow the exact recipe of something, but um, you can discover something really unique and maybe different when you are combining almost like, like combining from different recipes or different playbooks um, and taking different pieces from those things and learning like, okay, really, really distilling it down to what are my learnings from that, um, you know, for their specific situation. But I think a lot of times you don't see the below the surface stuff, right? So you might see, you might not know that they did something before that, that led to it being really primed for them to be successful. Or um, you might not see that they have, you know, $200 million in funding or something like that. If you're a startup, mm-hmm. uh, that obviously it's very different for you. Um, so I think like the the elements of it are always good to, um, to explore and then also see if like, well, are there aspects of that that we can apply to ourselves? But like you said, mixing and matching from different things is always, you know, versus literally a step-by-step following one specific company or one specific playbook is always a good way of doing it. Cause you can say, well, this might be a better fit for our specific situation. Mm-hmm. So should we even be trying to implement things that other companies have done, or should we always be taking a step back and looking at the principles? I mean, I encourage people to at least um, try some of that stuff because you never know, like if it's something I think you, you know, for a lot of things, I usually analyze like what is the risk versus reward or what is like the, um, you know, time cost or actual like, you know, budget that we have to spend on something and then see if you can run something like try, you know, either the whole playbook or elements of it, just because you're going to learn, you're going to say, okay, you know, maybe this part of it worked for us, but this part didn't, but I always, you know, I think a lot of people come into it with the mindset of like, oh, we try, you know, even if it's something that, that our team, for example, runs and we're like, let's try these different tactics or these different steps. Um, It may not work, but it doesn't mean that the entire thing is broken. You know, a lot of times you can um, break it down and say, where did it, where did the the gaps happen? Um, And where did kind of that leaky bucket start happening within this? And then you just like go to that part of it. So um, I think it's it's good to do. Obviously, if it's um, not a very high expense thing, and you, you feel like you can can try it as a company, and it's something that you're not going to spend millions of dollars, and they're they're all lost if it doesn't work out. Um, but that's why you can try things on a smaller scale. You know, maybe instead of um, doing a, an entire campaign to like a large segment, you can do it to a smaller segment and kind of test it within um, smaller amounts of uh, effort and spend. And then, um, and then learn from that because I think either way you're going to see what worked and what didn't. Mm -hmm. Do you have any examples of maybe something, a principle or playbook that you almost micro tested and then the concept was there, but you're like, you know what, if we could just shift this direction instead and made like a small adjustment, kind of like what you were talking about. And then it kind of opened up into something else that really worked for you guys. Does anything come to mind that has worked in the past like that? Um, I think like, you know, there's some people in our space that have done a really good job in, um, in social, uh, social, you know, social selling or either getting their, um, their company to be social advocates. And that's something that, you know, was not being done before a couple companies in the space did it. Um, and I think what I learned is, you know, we, we try, we went down that path and it's something that, um, is, you know, the larger the company, the more effective that is. So mm-hmm. obviously as a smaller team, the, the impact might not be as major as that, but we did see that, um, kind of the, the fundamentals and the things that you, you don't 
you don't necessarily see in the metrics are really positive, you know? So we've gotten really active on social media, especially with LinkedIn. And um, it's been, you know, there's kind of the soft benefits to it too, right? There's, our team has gotten more active at learning to create their own content, which is a huge thing for the sales and marketing team. Um, and so there's been like the side benefits that even if we are like, oh, okay, whether it did work or didn't work um, on the metrics and on some of the improvements to, to the performance, um, we realized, okay, there's a lot of like other things that we're benefiting that are actually good for this. But I think the adjustment is um, with a small team, we have to try things that are a little bit um, more unique and maybe like try like kind of more out of the box, you know, uh, uh, ideas that are not necessarily what everyone's doing um, to really like stand out. Because with a smaller team using that same methodology, um, it's not as effective, obviously, as a larger team, even if it's a, a little less uh, kind of out of the box. Mm-hmm. So if you could say one thing to a smaller team, uh, let's just say a smaller marketing team about mm-hmm. adopting or testing or finding principles that are important uh, for a marketing team, what would you tell them, these smaller teams? Um, whenever possible, look, if it's try and find a company that has shown success that is within your same like phase of company, at least your phase of like a product. So for example, you know, a lot of products are in the finding the product market, market fit, or they're, um, you know, in the early phase of funding, or they might be like already have found the product market fit, but they haven't really scaled up. And so um, I think a lot of times you can, you can really dig into like talking to people and asking them if they know of examples of that, listening to mm-hmm. podcasts and finding examples of that. Once you, I think, find the companies that are the right fit for that, you can really do research and say, um, what kind of searching can I do to find uh, examples of things they've talked about that have worked for them and then see if we can replicate that? Because then at least, you know, the the growth phase is similar to, to your company and their company or what, where they were at when they did that. Um, you know, for example, with us, like we are very strong in SEO, um, but we're not HubSpot yet. And so if we looked at what's working for HubSpot now, may not be a fit, but they, but HubSpot has shared along their whole journey. You know, they've shared at different points in time where maybe three, four years ago, they were a little bit earlier, lower traffic, maybe a little bit more comparable. And we can even look back at what worked there. You know, I think, especially if it's things that are evergreen that we think, okay, that could work now. Um, but yeah, I think drilling down to the company, the people, um, the kind of things that you can research and see if there's information out there of what's worked for them. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of uh, spark something for me. It's a lot of companies are re- marketing teams, especially are pressured or almost shamed in a way into not doing what other companies are doing, but they haven't lifted up the hood to see the size of the marketing team the budget of this other company's marketing team, the resources that they have. And an example of this is um, I really like what Refine Labs is doing with their podcast, with their LinkedIn strategy, and even their YouTube channel. They're starting to build that up. And we could look at that and say, wow, look at where they are today. But they have a full-blown team that is handling all of that. And there are companies that are in the same boat. They look really good and they're doing all these amazing things. And it's like, oh, we need to replicate that. But it's okay to sit back and be like, you know what, we actually don't have the resources right now for this. And Mm -hmm. if we try, we're going to spread ourselves too thin. We're going to commit to something that's going to flop. And at the end of the day, we're just going to waste uh, time and money on something that really didn't work because we were looking at someone who is way further ahead than us. Um, Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even some of the vendors we were talking to recently for some possible solutions, we were looking at them and we're like, 
all of the examples you're showing us are like these large companies that had a really, you know, mature program at this point of the specific software we're looking at, for example. And there was a disconnect there because I was like, you know, even as a even as a buyer, there's a lot of times that like that kind of difference between um, the examples we're seeing are that these were the success metrics. And I'm like, well, that's like vastly different from where we are. So I think a lot of times, you know, you, you have to kind of, um, especially if you're in kind of a scrappier mode than, than some other company is, then you have to like find the best, uh, best like possible connection to that. Um, and really just like find the, the, the tactics that work for them, which may not be like an end-to-end playbook, obviously, because I think in the earlier phase, a lot of companies don't really like share their learning out loud or they don't do that. But in that case, a lot of times I think you can connect with other people at those companies, you know, especially if they're not competitive and say like, how can I, can I learn from that? And I've done a lot of that recently where I've been like, you know, I, I just am forming those, those friendships and those relationships that a lot of companies that I admire that are at a similar phase than we are, and, or maybe even like slightly earlier, but they're doing some stuff that we could still learn from. Um, and then it's, it's like a really great, um, dialogue because we can share things across you know each company and say hey this is what we're learning maybe we're more mature for example us in seo or in like content marketing and they may be more mature in lead gen or something like that um so we're able to kind of share those learnings across with with each other and stuff look for content that already exists out there Mm -hmm. the typical process that happens are is marketers they will see a company doing something and then they'll want to go implement it themselves. But mm-hmm. let's say that you, for example, know that you already need to do something. You said you're doing SEO well, so we'll just say that's the example. You know you need to do SEO well. It's not something you focused on, but you have that realization. Where do you actually go from there? Do you go look for companies that are doing it well and look at those, st- you step back and look at the principles of why it's working for them? Or do you just go, uh, read some blog posts on it. Where do you, if you already know that it's an issue and something that needs to be solved and where do you go from there? Yeah, honestly, I mean, it's not the most clean answer, but I think you do all of that. Right. So like, you know, initially when you start doing research, you may start with looking for blog posts and there are some times that you find certain topics that there's like no depth to anything. And you're just like, okay, everything's very shallow. There's not really content out there that exists. Um, and so in that case, I might say like, well, what kind of um, podcast can I look at? Because it's like a little harder to search, but maybe um, I can target looking for certain companies. So, you know, for example, you may look for a search in podcasts for a company that's in your same space. That's like been where you are at some point in the, near, in the recent past um, or like specific people you admire that are really strong in that. For, you know, like if I was looking at SEO, um, there are thought leaders that I see constantly on my newsfeed on LinkedIn. And I'm just like, oh man, like I can see that they have put the things into practice and they're like, not just saying things like, you know, surface level kind of things. Cause you see like the results they're sharing, you see um, the effort they're putting in, you see the deeper understanding, you know, so either I'll try and connect with them if we have budget sometimes, and we'll try and hire someone that is like an expert in that space, because I think that can, uh, especially when you're having that one-to-one kind of uh, consulting, you can have, it can accelerate the learnings even faster. So um, either you can have conversations with people who are just willing to talk to you or really tap into an expert that's within the budget that you have for, you know, kind of ramping up on that channel. Mm -hmm. A massive factor within all of this is understanding the reason that a certain playbook has worked. Um, Mm -hmm. And that reason is typically because the audience resonated it or resonated with it more often than not. Um, So how can we tell if our audience will either resonate with it if they're the same way 
or if we need to take a totally different direction? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's some of its intuition, some of it's looking at uh, where your audience already spends time. And so, you know, for us, for example, that's LinkedIn. Um, our audience is very, very active on LinkedIn. And so we we a lot of times spend a lot of time as a team, even across teams, uh, looking at just like we engage on there. We see what kind of things people are talking about. We see what's like getting their interest. And a lot of times that will inform us. You know, it's it's very different, for example, um, even depending on which channel you're doing. So let's say we're, we're focusing on... Um, so the organic social, um, the type of tactics, the type of things that are important to LinkedIn people, you know, people who are LinkedIn and sales are going to be very different than if we're looking at, okay, now we're launching an SEO channel um, and we're trying to grow um, our keyword reach or things like that. So I think depending on what it is, you you find the the good examples and people who are really seem to be like crushing it in that space. Um, and then you're like, okay, hey, they have a playbook on this or they like describe their process. Um, and it's in the right place with the right audience. Everything is really like checking those boxes. Um, it's kind of like the green lights that you're you're checking on. And then you can say, okay, and they also have described, you know, their playbook or their process. Let's let's try that. And it's within all, also the scope of what we can do. Um, so I think a lot of times you can find things that check all those boxes and just, you know, kind of run with them and, and try some things that are all or some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to kind of shift gears here. Uh, to kind of mix things up where I hand the mic to you. This is a fun part of the the podcast episode. And I didn't ask you, but if you're not familiar with podcast hosting, you're going to get your chance right now. Um, So to kind of close this out here near the end, I want to give you some time to shoot some questions my way uh, and run the podcast from here. Awesome. Yeah. Sounds good. (laughs) All right. What you got? So, um, yeah, I mean, I, as I've mentioned in this episode, I'm, you know, definitely a fan of podcasts. Um, I think they're really powerful. They can, can have a lot of really big impact. Um, and so I think with a B2B space, I'm less familiar with kind of like how it works for B2B and if it's effective for B2B. Um, so like, how does a company um, analyze if a podcast, you know, they have, like we said, they may have 20 different things they want to do. Um, how do they determine like the when and the what of if podcasts are right for them? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure on when a podcast is right. So the when, but I do know how to tell if a podcast is working and a lot of it is really qualitative. Um, so yes, you can, you can figure out how many subscribers you have and how many listens you're getting to your podcast. Uh, even who is commenting on some of the content that you distribute from your podcast. That's all great. But the qualitative is your buyers are now in your discovery calls or they're booking their demos and they're like, you know, I've been listening to your podcast for three months. It has really resonated with me. It's really helped me with X. So that's one. Another one is you have your ideal buyers commenting on the posts. It's really resonating with them. If you distribute on LinkedIn, that's another one that we see a lot. Um, you're going to get DMs from people that are consuming the content and say, Hey, I love this episode with blah, blah, blah. Right. Those are the kind of pieces of feedback that I really look for more than anything is, mm-hmm. is our ideal buyer list is our ideal buyer listening to the podcast? Is it helping them? And is it continuing to bring awareness to our brand? Um, you could track the numbers all day and it's going to start out super small, but if you look at it more on the qualitative side, then you're really setting yourself up, setting yourself up for success. Awesome. No, that's great. I mean, I think it's really, it accelerates that trust cycle like crazy, you know, because when mm-hmm. I've heard people say when you're in someone's ear, 
you know, it's, it's just like just that much more accelerated in terms of their trust. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, obviously like distribution on LinkedIn and different places. Um, what are some place, some ways that you multi-purpose a, a, an episode and like how do people kind of go about um, determining what what kind of content to create off of a, a podcast? Mm-hmm. So this goes back to kind of what we were talking about where we said, don't get um, kind of shamed into doing what other people are doing. This is totally dependent on what your team can handle and the size of you know your marketing um, function, right? So with that being said, we can't do everything that Chris Walker does by putting out all these videos and putting out all these posts on their uh, Refine Labs page. That's a great place to shoot for. But a, a way that we, for example, chop up some content is we will do a micro video. It would be great to do more than one, but it's what we can handle right now. Um, we do a graphic with like a really good clip or quote from the podcast. That's a good one. Um, we, so we put those on LinkedIn and then something we do every once in a while, it's, it's kind of guest dependent in the way the, the podcast flows is we'll put together a slide deck of three or four points uh, from the podcast. And that seems to resonate really well uh, on LinkedIn. We did one, um, it was like five questions to ask during a marketing interview and it did really, really well and people consumed it and they enjoyed it. Um, but we wouldn't do it for every podcast because sometimes it's tough to get those pieces of content. Um, and right now we are exploring and, and starting a YouTube channel, almost like a repository for the long form video content, because mm-hmm. you can go listen to it on a podcast, but some people like to go to YouTube and also after a while, like we're not betting on it right now, it should be a good avenue for people to discover the podcast. Um, So those are ways that we do it. Um, Another option that we haven't really explored is take some some of the content and put it into text posts for LinkedIn. That's another good strategy. Um, But mostly like your goal should be to chop it up into the smallest form possible so that people can consume it and learn something from that piece of content. What I've seen is people on LinkedIn call this distribution, right? Um, They will record a podcast and then they will put the link and sometimes not even the name of the podcast episode and say, hey, episode 49 of our podcast dropped today, take a listen. And there's no context, there's no value, and you're trying to drag people off the platform. So wherever you distribute, you have to add value right there. And eventually, they will start to you know, reach out and maybe go look for the podcast. And one of the ways I realized that is I reverse engineered you know, how do I listen to podcasts? How have I discovered the last one that, you know, I listen to now? And it's because I saw some content from the host on LinkedIn. That's where I spent a lot of my time. I was consuming their content, enjoyed it. I noticed that they liked the, uh, or they, they host a podcast. So I checked it out. Didn't really like the podcast at first, continued to consume like their content on LinkedIn and decided later, you know what, I'm going to check out that podcast again. I did. And I'm like, you know what, this is maybe I just listened to an off episode or it wasn't like one I was interested in. And now it's like my top listen to podcast. So if you reverse engineer how you consume content, nine times out of 10, it's going to be the same way for your buyers. I love it. That's like perfect. It's one of those processes that you're getting so much usage out of one asset to create multiple. Uh, but also it's true. I mean, there's the multi-touch point journey of anyone, right? It could be them buying mm-hmm. something, it could be them listening to a podcast. And we often forget about that or actually like creating that micro content. Um, and so along those lines, my final question on this is like for the micro content, let's say you're making uh, the micro video, for example, um, how long, like what's an ideal length, let's say if we're posting on LinkedIn or Facebook or something like that. 
Mm -hmm. So that is something that is pretty dependent on your audience. So you'll want to test. Um, we test all the time and we have videos probably from 45 seconds upwards to two and a half uh, minutes that we put out. Um, I have seen videos that are eight to 10 minutes long on LinkedIn and they get a ton of engagement because information is good. So if you're putting out quality content that your buyers are consuming and they know it's going to be good, then they'll stick around for the whole time. But if it's just shallow, nine times out of 10, they're not going to consume it there. So really pack a punch with the micro video or, or the, the graphic or the slide deck because people will start to tune you out. Um, and one thing that I want to uh, tack on to what I was saying earlier is you have to make it easy for people to actually get to the podcast from the micro content. So an example of this is I see this company on LinkedIn pretty often. They, they put out micro clips Great. That's step one. And then from there, there's no place to actually go explore the rest of the podcast. And they barely mention that this is from their podcast. Um, somehow I figured it out that it was right. So I, I went to their website and I finally found the podcast in the very bottom uh, footer of the site. And this is after checking iTunes, Spotify, everything, just to be curious if I could find them. And I couldn't, I didn't know the name of the podcast. They never mentioned it, nothing like that. Um, so it's, it, you think that buyers would be like, oh, I, they'll know where to find the podcast, but make it incredibly easy. Put the links in the comments, put it all over your website so people can find it really easy because buyers can be lazy sometimes. And if you make it hard, especially, um, then you're just going to be shooting yourself in the foot and creating all this content for no reason. And then the last thing was this company, actually, they were on one streaming platform and they didn't distribute it to Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcast. Um, so it was simply on their website. It was the only place you could listen to it. So get it everywhere. You can get anchor for free. They'll distribute it. There's plenty of platforms like that and uh, just make it easy. I think, you know, marketers overcomplicate this sometimes. Yeah. No, and I, what I love about your, your show is that, you know, it's easy to find, especially on and Spotify. A lot of people forget Spotify and it's like, mm -hmm. they have it on other places, but not there. Um, but I think the, like the consumption of podcasts is like accelerating quickly there. Um, and I, I personally like to really like discover ones on, on Spotify because I'm already there listening to music or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So I love that you, you're really, I'm able to find your show wherever I look for it, you know? And, and so that's, that's definitely something you're doing, right? Mm -hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you, you just don't want to overthink it and marketers tend to do that from time to time mm -hmm. and that uh, we need to get better at it for sure. For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Alessandra, I appreciate you joining me here on the podcast to close us out. I always like to hear what your company's up to. So can you give me like the 30 second rundown or the elevator pitch, if you will, of what uh, Mailshake is and quick, quickly, I made it through the podcast mm -hmm. without saying it, but we talked about this before. I always think milkshake when I yeah. hear milkshake and I'm glad I didn't spit I know, that one I out. Like, so. I have to say it like slowly at, at milkshake. Yeah. So milkshake, um, like, like you're sending mail, but um, yeah, so it's, it's really exciting now because we're, we're focusing on like expanding quickly in terms of features that we have and really being an end to end solution for cold outreach. So that might be everything from, you know, a dialer that we added uh, last year that we're really adding features to quickly um, or like multi-touch we've had, but, you know, how can we improve where people can reach out on social or LinkedIn and, you know, have kind of a multi-touch uh, points of contact. Um, so the exciting thing is that I think, you know, within the next uh, next six months or so, we're really just accelerating the, uh, the development. Um, 
so that it's a one-stop shop for any kind of outreach that someone wants to do, um, really comparative to quote unquote, the, the big, big, big guys out there that are um, heavily funded, but ours is, our focus is simplicity. So we always mm-hmm. bring it back to, we have all, most of the same features, but it's, it keeps it very simple where people can use what's really important and they can feel like they're getting it done quickly. Um, and so that's kind of where we're headed. It's like adding the power, but keeping it simple. I like it. Keep it simple. Uh, well, Alessandra, thank you so much for joining me on B2B Made Simple. It's been great having you here. And uh, we might have to do a 2.0 here down the road. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>